Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 95, Hospitality, recorded Thursday, September 22nd of 2016, with your hosts, Grant and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. And, whoa boy, have we got a long episode for you today. Yeah. Or at least uh, a dense one. Yeah, this is old school, saving the game, talking about big theological concepts and how they apply to your game and to your gaming group and the world, and we are really hyped about it because it's going to be great. Yeah, we have kind of an interesting story about some stuff that popped up at the last minute that we'll get into as we get closer uh, yeah. to the actual topic itself. But first, we have a Patreon question, don't we? Well, we do. Although, uh, first, even before we get to that, I want to apologize to our listeners. There is a very slim chance that you will hear a little bit of background muttering on my track, and that's because my wife is really getting into reading our four-year-old, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for bedtime, and it's her bedroom is just on the wall behind me, so... You might get a faint murmur about Aslan. Not oh no, sorry. not that. <laughs> not at all sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad that our daughter's into that right now. So Start him young. Cool. Oh yeah, uh, that and then, um, it's, it's kind of funny. She's got, sorry, my wife has a book that she's reading to her, and then I'm reading a different book to her at the same time, and so we're kind of going back and forth, and it's kind of funny. Dueling bedtime stories, that won't be confusing at all. No, not at all. Uh, I'm reading uh, Patricia Reed's Dealing with Dragons, and it's one of my favorite young adult books. It's great. So, But I had to mention Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe happening literally behind me. Well, of course. Of course. Uh, do we have any other news and notes that aren't references to young adult literature? Uh, will this one drop before Save Against Fear? Just barely, I think. I think we should probably give Jack some love anyways, don't you? Yeah, that, that's a good idea. We did talk about this last time, but doing it again. Save Against Fear uh, is the Badana Group's annual fundraising convention. Uh, fairly big con at this point, as gaming cons go in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, I believe it's the weekend of October 14th. And you can find out more about it at saveagainstfear.com or thebadanagroup.org. We'll link them in the show notes. For those who don't know, maybe this is your first episode tuning in, and hey, welcome. The Badana Group is a nonprofit that uses role-playing games as a means of therapy for children who have suffered some fairly serious abuse, are themselves uh, sexual abusers in some ways, uh, or in in some cases. So it's they're doing they are doing God's work. <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah, uh, and they're doing it through means that are dear to our heart, and we love these guys. We had Jack on way back in episode 25, almost exactly three years ago, and he's had let me tell you, us on uh, Game to Grow, which is his project, too. So Yep, exactly. In fact, so, actually, we should have uh, a video that we're doing for that coming up sometime soon. In, the, in the month that you hear this episode in. So Yeah, probably. We'll have more on that when we actually, I don't know, have it do up. something. Yeah. Have it up, get it planned, do the things we're supposed to do. I'm way behind on my chores on that. Sorry. Eh, me too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll have more on that coming. Okay. Enough said. Let's do our Patreon question. I got my nice clear D6 this time. You ready? Yep. Okay. Oh, boy. That is... Okay, a question from uh, Doug Hagler, or Hagler. I think it's Hagler. Okay. From Doug, what RPG system would you choose to game the stories of the Hebrew scriptures? What about gaming the stories of the New Testament? Would you choose different systems? And what modifications can you think of that you'd need to make for a, quote, gameable Bible, unquote? So, uh, Doug, thank you for those unaware Every Patreon backer that backs us at at least the $5 level gets to add a question to our random question table. Currently, we have some empty slots from some of you whose questions have been answered already. We need replacements for those. So yep. if you want them answered, get them in. 
Yep. And, you know, we don't mind trying to help maintain a little bit of a backlog for those either. So, yeah. you know, that's fine. At any rate, let's do answer Doug's question. What RPG system would you choose to game the stories of the Hebrew scriptures? It's kind of funny how this ties into a previous question we had not too long ago about is it would it be considered sacrilegious to do so yeah uh i'd probably stick with something very rules light uh that allows a lot of narrative flexibility like fate or drama system how about you that's i think the right way to go honestly i think you could maybe for the hebrew scriptures the old testament bronze age stuff do something designed for a kind of grittier world if you're doing kind of that grittier um if you're going more for history than theology i suppose that would work pretty well yeah yeah i think so or you know some of those active events of you know the kingdom of israel and what came before and after right yeah you could maybe do something like agon which is kind of designed for classic greek heroism uh, that's it, competitive. It, it, I'm not sure I'd go with Aegon. It's it, explicitly it is, competitive. I, I know, but you could make it work depending on exactly the story you're telling. I like that it is explicitly Bronze Age. Eh, there, there are a number. I think I'd still go with something like Fate or Drama System. Well, and, and I think I would too. I'm just trying to throw options out there. Yeah, and I think that works best for the New Testament too. Fate as a nice universal system. And also because it doesn't really matter what the stats are for a biblical character in terms of, you know, who cares what Paul's strength score is. Yeah, you will not have to figure out what John the Baptist's dexterity score was. Right. We know attributes of those characters, and we know attributes of people in that time, and of the characters we want to tell, and that's why Fate's descriptive system works better, I think. Would I choose different systems? Uh, Only if I really wanted to do the historical thing that we talked about before. Otherwise, I think fate works fine for both. Are there modifications that you can think of that you'd need to make for a gameable Bible? I think giving the GM, and this is going to sound weird, I think giving the GM a bit more of an active role or finding some sort of rule for miracles or... Something like that might work. It, it kind of depends on exactly how you want to represent those in the game. Yeah. Other than that, no, I don't really think you'd need to change much. That's one of the reasons why I, my brain kind of went straight to that system. Yeah. You could easily say, okay, hey, Saul, here's a thing that happens to you. You know, are, are you blinded? Are you willing to, you know, go through this conversion r- route and hold out a fate chip? Yeah. You know, again, I think you might need to make something happen there because that's you're sort in a sense adding to the the economy without saying, hey, here is an attribute that I'm going to invoke on your character to encourage you to do something. You might have to make some changes there. But other than that, I think it's pretty well already set up. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Doug, thank you for that great question. We have one more kind of in the queue from you, I know. And again, if you want to have your question read on our show eventually, because I promise I'm not waiting to die in any particular direction, go ahead and back us on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash saving the game or, of course, stgcast.org. All right. And without further ado, let's dive into our main topic because there is so, so much of it. Yes, we have a lot of scripture on hospitality and a lot of things to talk about. Yes, we have three verse or we have three scripture entries and a quote. <laughs> yeah, do you want to start with Leviticus? Sure. Uh, this is Leviticus nineteen thirty four. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And from the New Testament, we have Luke chapter fourteen, verses twelve to fourteen. Then Jesus said to his host. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And then this is 1 Peter 4, 8-10. 
Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And we have a relevant quote here from an anonymous source. When you have more than you need, build a bigger table, not a higher fence. So we are talking about hospitality tonight. Peter, you've got a a good dictionary definition of hospitality. Do you mind sharing that with us? Sure. This is just from merriamwebster.com. Hospitality is defined there as generous and friendly treatment of visitors and guests, hospitable treatment, or the activity of providing food, drinks, etc. for people who are guests or customers of an organization. Right. So there's kind of a, a theme running through there. The general act of welcoming. When you are a person who's normally in a place and someone who is not arrives and feels welcome because of what you do, you are demonstrating hospitality. Uh, In a Christian sense, hospitality is a form of charity, that virtue which embodies a reciprocal, unselfish love for God and for our fellow men and women. Uh, We did an episode on charity quite a ways back now uh, on, I believe, the not the last, but the... It was the second, I think, of our Virtues and Vices series. Yeah, it was It was quite a ways back in our history. It's been years. It's it, Yeah, yeah, it was, because we did Greed first, and then right. Charity was its uh, virtuous counterpart. So yeah, that was one of our first six episodes. <laughs> yeah, wow. That has been yeah. a while. That was back before we had the whole audio thing figured out. Yeah, Are so we while sure I will... we want to send people back to listen to that one? Uh, I think we're going to have to, but yeah. yeah, fair warning. This was before I figured out how to, I don't know, edit. <laughs> Yay. So Hey, we all uh, have to I, learn everything at some point, right? I'll link, it, I'll link it in the show notes, but you and your ears are warned. <laughs> all right. But again, this is a, hospitality is a form of charity. We are, when we are hospitable, we are giving to others. We're giving of our time and goods, money, food, so on. But we're also giving of, you know, our our space, right? You know, this is our space that uh, I have set myself up in, and I am sharing it with you because you need some place. We're giving up our privacy and giving others a piece of that privacy for themselves. Sometimes we're giving up the seemingly guaranteed safety of our homes. Sometimes even giving up our pride because we're let it, we're kind of putting down the barriers and letting people see who we really are at home or in a space that is ours that we're sharing. Yeah, it's uh, you know those little messes and stuff that you'd really rather people didn't see. Sometimes I'll see them when you're being hospitable. You know, it's funny that you say little messes because my house is a disaster, and that's one reason I am really bad. Yeah, your at oldest of two children is how old right now? Well, okay, listen, I have a four-year-old and a six-month-old. There's kid stuff everywhere. I get it, but I'm also a really bad housekeeper. And the thing is, it's kind of a self-reinforcing loop. Right? Yeah, I am a bad housekeeper, therefore I do not want people to come over. I don't have people over often, therefore I do not feel the need to keep the house up as much. And it's this this sinful sort of loop, because not being a good housekeeper is itself uncharitable for everyone else who lives in the house, but that's a cycle I need to break, because I never want to have people over. I never want them to see the house, because there's a real sense of pride, you know, like, oh, no, no, I don't want you to see who I really am. Yeah. That's not a Christian way of looking at things, is it? No, but I can't really throw any stones your way because I'm just as bad. It's, I mean, the reasons are slightly different. We're kind of wedged in here and it's hard for us to entertain or host people because there's no place to put them. But, right. uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm no better. <laughs> well, right. And, you know, I talk too about that sense of danger. You know, I could easily justify it to myself as, oh, well, I definitely don't want to have, you know, a stranger spend the night in my house, you know, because I've got two kids and who knows what this stranger would do. But of course that then extends to, Oh, I don't want a coworker to come over and see my house. You know, I, I don't want family necessities necessarily to see my house unless I've done a great deal of work to put up a front for them. 
you know, and it's, it's not healthy, right? That sense of danger, by the way, I think is a very powerful justification for denying others hospitality. And it's not always even necessarily, oh, I don't know what this guy who I've brought into my house is going to do. Yeah, it's what are they going to think? What are they going to think? What are others going to think? What are others going to do if I have this person in my house? (laughs) Classic biblical story, Genesis 19, Lot, who in Sodom hosts the angels and the rest of the community attacks them yeah <laughs> yeah you know, it it's again he that's that is a a story of hospitality to an extreme yeah so there you go uh there is a, a great quote from c.s lewis because if we're doing anything philosophical and you know really talking about theology practical theology i pretty much have to quote c.s lewis but this comes from the four loves if i am sure of anything, I am sure that his teaching was never meant to confirm my congenital preference for safe investments and limited liabilities. I doubt whether there is anything in me that pleases him less. I'm just looking over uh, the four loves, in part because in there he actually quotes the same bit of First Peter, fourth chapter, that we read at the start, uh, talking a bit about hospitality as a form of charity. And that particular verse, or that particular line caught my eye and I had to share it because it was entirely accurate. Yeah, it's very applicable. One last word on defining hospitality, Christian hospitality, and more generally charity. This sort of hospitality is not given with an expectation of receiving in return from others. It's the same thing we saw in Luke, right? We're not expecting to get something in return. Although, A community of Christians would, if it were healthy and actively engaged in the sort of servant discipleship God calls us to, it would readily be hospitable for one another. You know, doors would be open for anybody in that community. And that's kind of what we see in that Acts 2 sort of environment, right? Where, you know, everybody is giving to each other within that initial tight Christian community. Yeah. So let's talk about hospitality in a gaming context. All right. So the first thing that kind of came to mind when we were working on this part of the outline for me was a lot of historical cultures have hospitality traditions from various different parts of the world too, actually. Sure. And I would say it's not, it's not only historical cultures. I think a lot of cultures still do. You might even say that we all do just ours is minimal. Yeah, but some of them were fairly dramatic. I mean, if you think of like the uh, the Middle Eastern or Celtic ones in particular, those are pretty uh, pretty stringent, really, in what was you were kind of expected to do. Absolutely. And uh, if you're looking to portray a society in your game as good or at least trying to be good, a strong, well-adhered-to hospitality tradition is a really good and kind of uh, authentic I suppose feeling place to start. It's it's so. going to um it's going to add some texture to your world that you even thought about that sort of thing. Right. And I think if you're looking to reflect a particularly Christian sort of hospitality within your setting, I think it's sort of safe to say that most of the burden of hospitality would go on the host. Yeah. Uh the host, you know, who sees somebody uh come to them in need and says, "Here, Take freely of what I have, my food, my water, my shelter, my protection, even my wealth. And we see all sorts of historical examples of this. We talked earlier about, you know, the early, the the very early Christian communities that we see in Acts and in Paul's letters and the, uh, the later letters from other figures in that very early church, you know, where they're talking about these very tight knit Christian communities and, hey, Here's this person, take them in. Here's this person, uh, you know, be hospitable without grumbling. So an interesting example in one of the one of the two kind of providential things that popped up in our Facebook feeds while we were working on this is I have a good, very old friend who I've been friends with for over 20 years. He's a friend of mine from high school who is in the process of becoming a Holocaust historian. And he shared something on his feed, unfortunately not publicly, but I've got the article that it links to to go in the show notes, 
about some of the people that sheltered Jews from the Nazis during World War II and some of the things that they did about that and some of the horrible consequences that some of them suffered because of that. And that was absolutely an act of hospitality, a very courageous, inspiring, kind of bone-chillingly scary form of hospitality. Uh, Another rather inspiring, if fictional, example is the interval with the Bishop of Digny in Les Mis, where he takes Jean Valjean in, uh, Valjean knocks him out and steals the silverware, the soldiers drag him back, he gives him the candlestick, sends him on his way. I have a clip of that that I'm also going to link in the show notes that is well worth the three and a half minutes or so that it takes to watch. Yep. And then you've got the old tradition of being granted sanctuary in a church, which is a very traditional and archetypal form of hospitality. Sure. Uh, And not just churches and sanctuaries, but also uh, abbeys and monasteries would often grant sanctuary to people who needed to escape from something for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now, of course, you can invert this as well. And... You know, if you're trying to show, hey, a particularly unchristian sort of hospitality, something where it's hospitality, but maybe not really, not as we think it should be, you can put the burden of hospitality on the guests in a way to prove themselves worthy of hospitality. Maybe hospitality requires a deed of service in repayment or obsequious begging at the door for hospitality or a suitable gift already prepared. Uh, Maybe it's class-based and not symmetrical. The poor or lower classes are expected to make the wealthy and powerful comfortable, but the rich have no obligation to do the same for the traveling poor. Uh, Maybe hospitality has to be repaid in the future, and the cost of not doing so, whether it's a social cost or a, a fiscal cost, some sort of legal cost, or something magically enforced, something like that, maybe that cost is just terrible. And so when somebody asks hospitality, it's granted grudgingly and... Or fearfully. Fearfully or sparingly because they know that when when it must be repaid no matter what the circumstances are at the time. So this is something that will portray those claiming hospitality as evil and dangerous. And it works especially well for crime bosses or tyrants even in kind of a normal setting uh, yeah you know if i have to uh i have to make sure that you know the don has a good meal or he might come back and burn my restaurant down possibly with my staff still inside exactly another thing to think about when you're exploring the idea of hospitality in your setting and this again goes for players and gms what sort of resources do people in the setting you're in need is this the, the basic stuff in the old, outdated Maslow hierarchy of needs? Or is there something exotic that people need in this setting? Uh, something interesting that has to be traded? Is it, you know, uh, is it food, water, shelter? Is it, oh, you have light in this setting where it's eternally dark? Is it, oh, you have something that hides us from the sun, in, you know, in our terrible burning desert setting what is it yeah uh one thing that springs to mind just listening to you talk that could be interesting is um if it was traditional that some kind of a story has to be exchanged oh yeah there you go i like that you know either either the host has to provide one or the guest has to provide one or they each provide one and trade them as kind of a you know a ritual act in their society sure uh, maybe they have to, you know, recount news of the places that they've been. You know, actually, that would work extremely well in a post-apocalyptic setting. Well, post-apocalyptic fantasy, kind of a historical medieval setting where news doesn't travel very fast and travelers are rare. Uh, maybe even sci-fi, like a good sci-fi setting that has only uh, limited FTL communication. Yeah, no like FTL traveler. radio. Yeah, I think Traveler doesn't have FTL radio. Only ships go faster than light. And so ships take news with them. Uh, a setting like that where news travels at the speed of travel is one where where you have been and what's happening is a fantastic resource to give to your host. And your host may have 
news that's outdated about where you're going, but it's incumbent on them to share it. Yeah. Oh boy, this is making campaign ideas spring up in my brain. We better keep going here. Oh yeah, well, no, this is... Do you think I haven't been adding any of this to the D&D game? <laughs> this does seem like something that the Kenku would do. Oh, it seems like something that's going to come up over and over in the game, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, if the host doesn't have resources, are they obligated to acquire them or create them when the guest asks for them? If I don't have much food, you know, uh, I'm in the middle of a drought and my animals are starving and my supplies are running low. Am I obligated to show the same level of hospitality that I would show in rich times when somebody comes to me and asks for hospitality? Yeah, which may not even be possible. Well, it may not be possible. Do you cut into your 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 last resources, the ones you kind of depended on to recover in order to meet this this need for hospitality? You know, clearly you you are not on the road. Do I, you know, this person is, do I need to give what I have to them? And these are these are questions that are partly defining a culture of hospitality and partly a difficult question to put in front of a group uh, and say, okay, here's a problem. How do you solve it? Yeah. Uh, another cultural question in a way, do you give proportionally of your wealth and resources when somebody asks for hospitality or is there a, a culturally established amount? You know, if somebody comes over to my house, I often will say, Hey, would you like anything? You know, do you want, a snack or something, would you like me to make you a pot of coffee? Right? Yep, I that, remember that from when I visited you, actually. Well, of course, because I try and make coffee for everyone. But, you know, I'm not saying, well, I can put 1% of my income into each guest's pot of coffee, right? It's And to a certain degree, this is practical, right? No one's going right. to consume that. But, you know, does everyone always get a single cup of coffee? Or is it, you know, hey, I'll make you a pot and, you know, I'll keep going because I can do that? Is it, you know, everybody gets a ritual uh, welcome of a cup of water and a loaf of bread and a little salt? What is it? Yeah, how does that work? Is it, oh yeah, I am expected to provide bread, wine, and a place to sleep, but no more, no matter how wealthy I am. Yeah. The, so it, the other thing that that gets interesting with this sort of thing is when the uh, when the wealthy in your setting start using this as a way of demonstrating their wealth and power. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm only obligated to provide this much. But any traveler who comes through here, it's like, you know, I have I have uh, gone with the the letter of the law, but the salt is a, like a rare pink varietal from some mineral sea that's someplace that's that tastes different and the bread is made with, you know, some kind of exotic grain and the, the place to sleep is this opulent bedroom. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, look at, look at how much I have where, you know, even this simple act of hospitality that I'm required to do by my culture, I can, I can, you know, blow the minimum requirements out of the water. So resources aside, there's also the question of notice, right? How much notice is there for an occasion where you, need to grant hospitality or ask for hospitality. Uh, traditionally, of course, the complete lack of notice is a great storyteller's route for illustrating hospitality. You know, a traveler seeks shelter from a sudden storm. An entire royal retinue shows up demanding their due lodgings and food and supplies for an entire royal train, right? The, all of that has to be scrounged up immediately. That's fun. It's, oh, hey, surprise. But that's kind of the traditional route to take. A um, a person on the run from a nasty street gang banging on our door would have been an amazing adventure starter for our Shadowrun game. It would have. You're right. And when we inevitably go back to Shadowrun, <laughs> we will... <laughs> stick that in the file, yes. <laughs> we'll stick that in the file, absolutely. 
that's not to say something like that won't necessarily show up in a more current game. Yeah. We'll see. It could. I could see how that would work out in a number of different ways, actually. Yep. On a larger scale, oppressed groups of people who need shelter from their oppressors. It's a tense, dramatic story moment. Uh, To go back to that Nazi example that you uh, had for there. You know, what do you do with all of these refugees? And it's very sudden. How do we how do we handle that? Yeah. In a... uh, a fantasy setting, hey, you know, there's been some magical disaster. What do we do? It need not necessarily be refugees from political oppression. We've talked, I think, about this sort of thing before. Yeah, I mean, what do you do after the day of mourning anywhere in Eberron? It, yeah, exactly. There are all of these survivors who happen to be out of the country. They have to be sheltered. What do you do with them? Yeah. But at the same time, I think you could have a lot of fun by giving lots and lots of notice for something planned. Yeah, now the, the archetypal example here is a wedding, of course. Right. And our archetypal example meaning things Peter and I have both dealt with. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes as, as married men, we have both been through this. <laughs> yeah, and let me tell you, if you are not married, there is an extraordinary amount that goes into planning a wedding if you are doing anything more than... Let's go down to the city council offices and get married. Yeah, we had a fairly modest wedding and we still had a lot to do. Ours was relatively modest as well. I mean, you know, you know us, we're not going to go overboard on it. Um, But, you know, I had plenty of friends to invite. My wife had plenty of friends and family to invite to a certain degree because we were doing it at my church and not hers. This was before Chrissy decided that she was going to be a Presbyterian, right? So she was kind of Southern Baptist still, and, you know, I'm Presbyterian, so there was a little bit of, well, we're not doing it at her church, and of course, in our country, doing the wedding at the the bride's church is traditional. So it's, okay, if we're not doing it at her church, we need to make sure that all of these church people are invited. (laughs) Yeah. There was some, some social obligation. And of course, planning the food, uh, planning entertainment, which we frankly didn't do. Yeah, we did cake and punch in the um, lobby of the church afterwards, and that was our reception. So Yeah, we, we had a reception. Uh, again, talking about hospitality, one of the things that we did, and I say we as if I had any part in planning this, <laughs> one of the things my wife did, who <laughs> is much more charitable than I in some ways, um, we have a good friend who's got terrible allergies uh to give you some idea you can touch a sesame seed on a hamburger and then touch her arm and it's very likely she'll have to go to the hospital oh she is incredibly allergic to any sort of tree nut wow like peanuts are fine right because those are a legume right any sort of tree nut is incredibly dangerous for her. I can't tell you how many epipens she's gone through. And eating out is a real risk for her. And our wedding, we really tried very hard to make sure that she had stuff that she could eat. You know, no no tree nuts, etc. And our caterer was really good about working with us on that. And this was the first wedding she'd ever been to. Where other than her own, where she could eat the food. <laughs> wow. And I think she had an allergic reaction at her wedding. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, so this this actually reminds me of another fantastic story of hospitality that I have to give my, my parents credit for. So years and years ago, some friends of, uh, of mine were without really any place to go on Thanksgiving. The, the husband's parents were... Uh, out of the country, actually doing some charitable work down in Haiti, I believe, which is very cool, but he wasn't with them. Uh, And they were pretty much estranged from the wife's family. So they were just going to have kind of like a a quiet thing at home. And I was like, well, why didn't you come and visit my family for Thanksgiving? And he was all like, oh, you know, I don't want to impose. It's fairly short notice. It's, you know, it's only like a week or two away. And I actually was like, no, 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 you don't understand. These are, these are my parents. Give me 
10 minutes. And I, I actually hung up on him and called my parents. And I talked to my mom for about five minutes and called him back and said, yep, uh, they will now be disappointed if you don't show up. There you go. This story gets better. The, okay, so first of all, the fact that I knew that about my parents tells you something about how hospitable they are. Sure. The second part of the story that I didn't tell you that I did tell my parents when I was on the phone with them for that short conversation is the husband has severe celiac disease. Not quite as bad as your friend with the tree nuts, but pretty bad. If he had anything that touched gluten or anything, he would have gastric distress would have been his friend for at least two or three days afterwards. Mm, No fun. The wife was a vegetarian. And their daughter also had celiac disease. Oof. So three people with dietary restrictions, not even all the same dietary restriction with less than two weeks notice. And my mom gave him a clean pan and some turkey cutlets, which he had bought separately just for that. So he could have food that he knew was safe for him to mm-hmm. eat and his daughter to eat and made sure that there were plenty of vegetarian dishes for the wife. Perfect. I would be remiss if I did not tell... A story that some of the listeners who've heard our backlog or have been listening for a long time may know. The daughter I was talking about earlier who was getting uh, Lion, the Witch, of the Wardrobe read to her. When she was nine days old, she had to be flown down to Charleston from Greenville to have heart surgery. And, you know, she was in the uh, the NICU, the uh, neonatal intensive care unit at our local hospital. And so we were kind of waiting to see what happened, get the news. And then as soon as this diagnosis came in, it was okay. We're sending her down to Charleston and we're flying her down. Well, we had some friends coming up from Columbia. Columbia is about halfway. It's middle of South Carolina, dead center in the state. Okay. And it's about equidistant between Charleston and Greenville, roughly. So we had some friends coming up from Columbia who were, you know, going to be visiting us and helping out. Because, hey, new baby, right? Right. Uh, this is my, my wife's best friend, uh, a good friend of, of you know, and, and um, you know, her husband, who's a good friend of ours as well. Well, he's he was from Charleston, or, you know, the, the husband was. And so when he kind of heard, hey, you know, we're going to have to cancel, we're heading down to Charleston, because, of course, we are literally throwing everything in the car and racing down to Charleston, trying to do our best to follow this airplane, right? Right. He calls his parents and says, hey, uh, can we come down and spend the night with you? And um, do you have a guest room for Grant and Chrissy? And explain what was going on. And, you know, I think my wife had met his parents once. And they said, yeah. Absolutely, you can stay with us. So rather than us trying to find a hotel at two in the morning, when we got down to Charleston, me almost literally falling asleep at the wheel and my wife literally hitting me in the leg to keep me awake. uh, And me guzzling much more Red Bull than was healthy. (laughs) Rather than trying to... And bear in mind, this is after Chrissy spent four days in the hospital trying to have this child, and then three more days after an emergency C-section, and then several more days of, oh God, oh God, our baby is in the hospital. And that's not a, you know, uh, sacrilegious, oh God, that is a, <laughs> a plea for God's healing to come down, because we were terrified. So, you know, after that, instead of trying to find a hotel, it was, hey, come in our house, we'll make you breakfast. We'll make you dinner. You, you know, you, here's a key to the house. You come and go as you need, you know, spend as much time with your daughter as you can in the hospital. And don't be afraid to, you know, just do whatever you need to in our house to take some time, make yourself comfortable and handle the stress. And then they were like, hey, you know what? It probably would be easier for you if you had your own place. Let me give you a key to our beach house. Yeah, I remember you telling this story and just being kind of flabbergasted at the the generosity of these people that you barely even knew. Uh, yeah, I I had literally never met them. And they were just incredibly generous because you know, one of their son's friends needed help. And it's not like 
Charleston around MUSC, Medical University of South Carolina, is lacking for hotel rooms. Right. Yeah, there's a there's a Ronald McDonald House there as well. Now you have to kind of try and register ahead of time for Ronald McDonald House. Uh, for those who don't know, this is the McDonald's charity. And, you know, I always used to think, I don't know what this is. It's weird that McDonald's has a charity. Well, what it is, it's a long-term housing solution next to hospitals where uh, kids are in long-term care or going through long-term treatment. And so it's space for families to live without having to pay for a hotel and, you know, because that gets expensive very quickly. Right. And, and, you know, if you're looking at months in a hotel, it's uncomfortable and extremely expensive. Well, Ronald McDonald House is here is a place where we can put people up long term and it's funded by those donations. You know, if, if you're in need, here's a place you can stay to to be with your child while they go through all this medical treatment. Remind me to throw my change in that thingy the next time I go through a drive through Oh, believe me, I do. <laughs> I don't eat at McDonald's too often, but that little box gets all of my change every time for that reason. Yeah. So we could have eventually found something, but these people just opened up their doors, literally gave us the key to the house and said, our house is your house. You stay here as long as you need to. That's amazing. It really was incredible. And it was, it made it so much easier to focus on our daughter, right? And that kind of hospitality is tremendous. And it's, we're talking about real world examples. Yeah. And I I almost feel bad taking it back to gaming. Because ultimately we're using gaming as an analog for that sort of real world hospitality and a a, a sort of trainer in a way, for that real-world hospitality. But that's a good example of the the sort of extreme hospitality on no notice that you can do for someone, in-game or in-person. And I would much rather you do it in, in person, in real life, than in a game. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I just gotta take a couple of seconds and let that one sink in. Believe me. I still do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure you actually experienced it. I'm just hearing about it. So. Okay, so uh yeah, um back to yeah. our our gaming podcast. Uh Well, again, we've kind of strayed a little bit from the idea of planned hospitality, haven't we? We certainly have. And I I think perhaps these varying degrees of short notice examples that we've given from real life do a good job of illustrating what spontaneous hospitality can look like um yeah now you know the the story with my parents wasn't nearly as dramatic and the situation wasn't as dire and they had a little bit more notice but they certainly went above and beyond the call of duty there uh the story that you have is just jaw-dropping in its magnitude it's yeah it was tremendous but i like the idea of giving months to plan something huge as well because in in a way that builds up the tension it's it's not the sudden oh goodness what do we do it's yeah what can we do on an hour's notice you know right it's okay we have three months to plan for this important person to visit or we have three months to plan for 500 people to visit we we have three months to plan for the council of nicaea sure yeah there's a call back. back a couple episodes yeah what do we do and how do we do it? Um, in the, uh, the D&D game, right? It's a colonization game, right? The idea is you're, you're among a group of people who have settled in an area and you're establishing a colony there. Yep. What happens when you hear that the next wave of colonists is coming? Yeah. How do you welcome them? What, what preparations do you make? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do what if do they you... don't show up on time? Right. What do you do if they show up early? What happens if there's more of them? But also, okay, what are we going to give them? We're here. We're, we've barely got enough to scratch by on our own. They're going to have even less because they're going to be just as unprepared as we were, three, you know, two years ago. Well, and to take another example from our game, um, 
for the short notice thing, Rishi was pretty hospitable to our PC group on literally no notice at all. Sure. So, <laughs> I mean, he danced around a tree a couple of times, but yeah. beyond that, yeah, he was he was absolutely down with it. And that gets back to the cultural thing and, you know, what do you do on short notice? Yep. But that that same idea of, hey, here's some foreigner. We know nothing about them. Let's take them in. Yeah. Um, there are a couple other kind of basic story hooks that matter for gaming uh, and that involve hospitality. Uh, hosting something unusual whether knowingly or unknowingly. I think this is a pretty common trope. Yep. You know, the king disguises himself as a beggar. Uh, the dragon disguises himself as a human. What do you do? Uh, you know, you're hosting a fairy, a witch, etc. I, I think this is a pretty common... An angel, to use a scriptural example. Yeah, exactly. These are pretty common storytelling tropes. Almost fairy tale level. Yeah. Seeking shelter somewhere unusual. Again, very common hook. I have to seek shelter in this mysterious castle. I have to seek shelter in a manger. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, you know, back with the animals. All of these sorts of things. Right? <laughs> to go back to the Shadowrun example, I have to she seek shelter from these unknown people in this industrial park. Now, yeah. that person would certainly get it. The shelter, I mean. But... <laughs> That would exactly. definitely be an unusual set of circumstances. It would be weird. And I think we, we often we are usually talking about hospitality in terms of inviting people into the into your home, right? Yep. There are a few variations on that, you know, whether it, you're inviting people into your business, inviting people into your church, but I think hospitality is maybe we could define it generally as giving of space as well as whatever comes with the space. Whatever comes with it, you know, food, water, clothing, shelter, you know, whatever is needed, right? Yeah. But I think for gaming purposes, this, the idea of sitting down with your guest or your host to eat a meal together, or even that scene where you are being introduced to each other before you pack the guest off to the guest quarters or, you know, put them out back in the uh, in the barn or, or set them up sumptuously in your best rooms, whatever it is, right? Right. That moment of interaction is a golden opportunity for character and setting and story development. Uh, it does not have to further the plot. This is one of those moments where no plot has to be furthered at all. Yeah, this can just be a textural thing. Sure, and it can be important for your characters without directly affecting other parts of the plot. So, yeah, this is a great opportunity what kind for of people they are in scenes like this... It adds a lot of dramatic heft to whatever they do later. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of planning a scene like this, just to give you a, a little sneak peek of the future, when you guys get back to the colony after your current adventure wraps up. You know, okay. Of, okay, settle back in. You've been out exploring and dealing with crazy stuff for a little while. The rest of the colony is kind of settling in. You guys settle in. What do you do? What happens when somebody comes by your cook fire to talk, right? Th those moments of, hey, come over and share our meal and let's learn about some of the NPCs in the colony, right? I, I want that scene to happen in part because I want to develop those characters, but also I want it to be an opportunity for your characters to develop without, any, without me having any hands-on control at all, right? <laughs> Oh boy, go. howdy, so do I. I I've I been mean, looking forward to those scenes since you pitched this campaign to us, so... I, literally, all I have to do is provide three logs to sit on, a cook fire, and a pot. Well, and an NPC. Well, an NPC, but also, you know, do you guys kind of hide away from everyone? Do you smack, sit smack down in the middle of everyone? Are you inviting people over? There... I may not have to do anything, <laughs> you know? Yeah, just, that's true. It could be entirely player-driven, and that's great, right? Our friend Derek White, Reverend Derek White, who we've had on a couple of times, is fond of talking about the gaming table as a special thing because sacraments happen at the table, right? We right. do communion at the table. The word of God is spread around tables. 
and it, the table is so special because we all sit down and eat together. We do it all the time. We share, you know, these necessities and we, sh- you know, but it's also, we, we've taken that and raised it up through the sacrament, turned that into the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, right? Uh, whether, you know, tr- transubstantiation, consubstantiation, any of these arcane theological disputes, the point is we, we've taken this and, and raised it up through communion. Yeah, it has definitely been elevated to something greater. Right, and I say we have done it. It's God, of course, who has done that, and we're sharing in that. Yes. And so he's very fond of talking about the table as a place where these holy things happen. And I think you can easily reflect that in your game. Not necessarily, you know, through sacramental action, but the idea of interaction happening around a table where everybody gathers to do things together and do basic things together and serve each other. There's something very powerful that happens there. And exploring that in your game and exploring that at the gaming table, exploring that with your family, I think is very powerful. Let's do talk about the table a little bit. Obviously, we talk about the gaming table a lot here. Yeah. Okay, so... uh... One of the things that we've mentioned before, but it bears repeating, one of the most important parts of hospitality as a gamer is making sure that you and your gaming group are welcoming to folks who aren't stereotypical gamers or veteran ones. Yep. Uh, this hobby is for everyone who is interested in it, with the caveat, of course, that it isn't used to hurt others. But that is such a tiny percentage of the the reactions that you're going to have that, while it does bear mentioning because sadly it happens more than it should, it's not something that you can or should count on because it probably won't even still. Right. Right. And of course we like to say, Hey, let's make sure your gaming group welcomes folks who aren't stereotypical gamers. That does not excuse us from the duty of being hospitable to those who are stereotypical gamers. Absolutely. Yeah. Including gamers who embody some of those more negative stereotypes that people have of gamers. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. The the unwashed pedant should still be welcomed. <laughs> they are just as welcome as anyone else at the table. I mean, trying to reach out to them and say, "Hey, let's let's be a better person." That that's also part of it. You know, we we each reprove each other and correct each other so that we can grow in Christ together. And taking care of each other. If I genuinely love someone, it in a a Christ like way that includes wishing for them to be a better person and caring for them enough to say, to say, hey, you're not taking care of yourself. Hey, this is a, a problem. Not being a busybody, but genuinely showing care for someone else, right? Yeah. And we talked about this more when we talked about uh, love and charity in that same episode, but it's important and it bears repeating because hospitality also is part of that. In a more practical sense, at your gaming table, offering to host is an easy, well, an easily defined, if not necessarily always easy to do, form of hospitality. And maybe feeding people. Games tend to run long. Snacks, maybe even lunch or dinner. Yeah. You know, provide them. There was a a recent Church of the Resurrection sermon series that I listened to uh, Mm -hmm. during some of my podcast time. And um, one of the things that this brought up that was kind of a little bit convicting for me is that part of these communal acts like hospitality and stuff is obviously being the one to provide and stuff, but refusing to be the one who ever receives any of this can also be damaging. Yeah. You you need to kind of be gracious from both sides. So if somebody else is offering to host or something, your duty is not to run them over and try and, you know, wrench that away from them. Your duty is to be gracious and accept that and perhaps look for other opportunities where you can be hospitable as well. Right. Don't reject it this time. Offer to do it next time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another easy one, by the way, transportation. Yeah. You know, be willing to take other people to the game, drive them home. I think in particular... This is one of those cases where it's easy to see that hospitality isn't just limited to the host. Yep. Uh, you know, if someone else is hosting the game, offer to be the guy who gets pizza. You know, offer to bring gaming supplies, print off character sheets, whatever. Yeah, all uh, that's important. And not only are you 
willingly and happily taking on some of the burden of the group, you're taking some of what the host might be expected to do and graciously taking that on yourself. As And that's particularly good for that person. One other thing that uh, sometimes comes up in gaming groups that this kind of jog my memory on, uh, being a little bit of the, the librarian of the group, if you have a large collection of gaming books and they're relevant, that can also yeah. be good. Yep, that's a good point. Honestly, giving of time is probably one of the most generous things you can do at the table. Uh, really, giving time is one of the most generous things you can do these days, period, uh, given how rushed we all seem to be. Yeah. But... Being flexible with your schedule, if you really can, is one of those hospitable things that you can do. Maybe you really kind of want to have the Friday night be your time, but, you know, the rest of the group would like to do Friday night. You know, if you have other obligations Friday, that's one thing. But if you're just kind of jealously guarding your TV time, be generous with that. Give that up. Trust me, your DVR will work. Netflix will still have it. Yeah. You can be flexible with that. Take time to talk to your gaming group before and after the game, not just during the game. Time invested in other people is important. That's where we love our neighbor as ourselves, is by taking time, that's how we do it, is we take time to interact with other people, to get to know them. And of course, if there are new players, be patient. Take time to explain things to them. Help them out. Yeah, and this goes beyond just game mechanics, but there's a certain level of, like, gaming etiquette. Um, there's inside jokes and stuff that happen. Take mm -hmm. time to explain that stuff, too. I mean, people may not, you know, maybe left on the outside of something that everybody else finds side-splittingly hilarious because they just don't have the form of or the uh, frame of reference for that. If they can be brought into that next time, that is a hospitable act. And leaving people out in the cold is... By definition, not being hospitable. Yep. So, uh, one other thing that I kind of want to bring up here is conventions. Because we're not just talking about the the game table, but larger conventions. Whether these be gaming conventions, culture cons, whatever. Right? Um, Peter and I both really like going to Fear the Con, because the booter community, the, the Fear the Boot community, is particularly hospitable. Yeah, it's including, I should uh, say, the hosts who self-funded the convention for many years. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, those sorts of cons are great. And smaller cons often have that sense of community. They're, they're fantastic. Uh, but even larger conventions can have it. Sub-communities within larger conventions often do this naturally, or they set out explicitly to create that sort of community and set up hospitality. There are groups, too few of them are Christian, but there are some that exist, uh, which actively seek to create hospitality within conventions. Okay, so there's there's one that um, I feel like I have to call out another one of our former guests, Kyle yep. Rudge and his, uh, his group of singers that goes to cons and sings like the Firefly theme and stuff. Yeah. That's an act yeah, of hospitality. It is. It's making, it's taking your time. It's charity, but it is... It's hospitable in that you're you're making people feel at home there. There's another group that I kind of want to call out, and this one just kind of popped up into my feed today. Uh, this there's a we've group. had a lot of coincidental stuff popping into our feed today, haven't we? Hmm. Providential, perhaps. Yeah, seems yeah. a little bit. There's a group. It's a an all women group, about 1,500 members, I think, uh, called Themyscira, which uh, gets its name from the island that Wonder Woman comes from. Uh, you know, the Isle of the Amazons. Oh, yeah. And it's a group of women who work with cons and at cons to maintain safe zones for women who need anything. Uh, and that's anything from emergency costume repair for cosplay to emergency assistance with a dangerous situation. They are not a Christian group, and I, I know there are a few people who object to a couple of things that they do, but ultimately the goal is to give of their time and talent at a convention to make the convention experience better and safer for others. And that's, that is admirable. Again, there, there are, there's, it feels like a dearth of Christian groups out there. Uh, Fans for Christ, unfortunately, just closed down a couple months ago. Oh no. 
yeah, there there are others out there. Uh, you know, the Christian Gamers Guild, of course, is one we are naturally involved with, or at least members of. Yeah. But you know, there there are too few of those. I feel that make their presence known at conventions across you know across the country and across the world. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why we started the podcast is so that we can get a few more Christians into the gaming community and maybe get the manpower to fix that. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. One thing I will say is that there are several church services at larger cons, and I think that is, in a way, a form of hospitality, really by the con organizers saying, yeah, you know, that's a thing that even though I'm not Christian, I think is a good thing to have, right? We'll make time, set aside space for that. Yep. Uh, and people are giving charitably of their time, their gaming time at the con, to host a service for believers who have gathered together at a con. And I think that is good. Um, hospitality, honestly, is one of those things that should be cultivated in general, right? Yeah. Not just at home, but in churches, in your workplace, in your leisure time. Your neighborhood, it's, it's, if you've got yeah. new neighbors coming in. New neighbors, old neighbors. I've got yep. old neighbors I've never met. People need to be welcome in shared spaces of all kinds, not just at the gaming table. Yeah, and this is also something that nations can and should do on a national scale. Um, the the taking in of refugees is a particularly good example, uh, granting political asylum to people who need it. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, we, we, uh, we ragged on um, Germany, and rightly so, for what they did during World War II, but modern Germany has kind of become a role model for other developed nations and that they take in a staggering number of refugees for a country their size from all over the yep. world. Oh, yeah. Uh, and on a local scale, I've talked about GAIN before, the uh, Greenville Area Interfaith Hospitality Network, uh, which is churches and synagogues and mosques and the like that all kind of have a rotating schedule of hosting people who need housing who, who are temporarily homeless well they've got a rotating schedule where they take their space and set it aside and convert it into housing for a little while so that people don't have so that families can live together that's kind of the great thing about gain it, it's designed because most homeless shelters separate men and women right so if if a husband and wife are homeless they can't sleep in the same room maybe not even the same building right um you know, children are often segregated from parents. It's it's one of those things where families easily get broken up, and it's very difficult. Well, gain is all about making sure families stay together in a uh, a space that is designed to give them some privacy and time as a family, uh, and that's great. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention is something that literally crossed my Facebook feed five minutes before we wrapped up the outline for this episode. Yeah, this, this was also... our last piece of providence for the day. <laughs> Tell me about it. But this also comes from Reverend Derek White. He posted this on Facebook. There's uh, an article that he posted, and I'll link this in the show notes, about an Episcopal church in downtown Denver, Colorado, that's trying to get permits to build eight tiny homes on its own property. Tiny homes here being, I think... 96 less... square feet. Yeah, very small, right? But it's enough for one person. That, you know, it's it's a dorm room, <laughs> practically. Yeah, basically. But, you know, it's got a, private, a privacy fence and, you know, a, a security station to, you know, make sure that these people aren't disturbed. And this church is kind of right in the middle of the downtown Denver homeless problem, because they are literally downtown. And so they really wanted to set up a space where people could go to get shelter. Uh, and to have something permanent and an address where they could, you know, get mail and say, this is where I live when I apply for a job, that sort of thing. The same church, by the way, hosts, I think uh, the article said 20 homeless women every Friday night in its basement. So clearly they're they're very well engaged in this. Yeah, this is something they really care about. <laughs> yeah, it's a marvelous example. They're giving up church property for this. This is not a temporary thing. They're talking about building residences and setting aside land on the church campus for this. Yeah, this is permanent for them. Yeah. And, and that kind of 
giving and that kind of hospitality is the kind of thing that we really should all strive for. Indeed. All right, we've talked a lot about hospitality. I want to wrap this up with a call to our listeners. I want to know, sort of like we did last episode, I want to know your best story of hospitality. But unlike last episode, I don't necessarily want to limit this to gaming. If you have a good gaming story about a case where the party is staying somewhere or is hosting someone, you know, uh, somebody joins them while they're camping on the road, they take shelter somewhere interesting, and some cool thing happens. I want to know about that. But those real stories of hospitality, those are the ones that matter. And I'd like to, to get those and share those and... So that we can share them with each other yeah, and encourage those among ourselves and among others who come across this. And yeah, I'd like to to get that from all of you. So, And we'd also kind of like you to um, at least consider putting some of this stuff into your games. We we think that this can add a lot of richness and um, texture to your games. And this is kind of what we like to talk about, where it can be practice for doing it for real. So if exactly. you manage to do that in the next few weeks, we want to hear about that too. Yeah, or a uh, few weeks. You know, if you're listening to this episode five years later, post it in the comments. Yeah, we still want to hear about it. it. Yeah. yeah, it'd be cool. So I think that's where we're going to wrap this up. Thank you for listening. If you want to uh, find us on the web, you can go to stgcast.org or uh, savingthegamepodcast.org. You can also find us on Twitter at Saving the Game, Facebook, Saving the Game, Google Plus, Saving the Game. We're easy to find. Yep. And so from both of us here, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.